is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. No matter where you go in the world, you will encounter animals, many of them in an urban setting. I recently invited Native American author Sherman Alexie to join me and veteran NPR radio host Steve Scher live on stage to talk about the animals we encounter in the world. The result was a hilarious and thought-provoking show, full of stories well told. I hope you enjoy this romp through the animal kingdom. All referenced pictures you can find at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And later in the show, when Louise shows up, know that she is a stuffed orangutan. Enjoy! of three albums, seven film scores, also volunteered to be here tonight, so don't forget to tip them. Uh, my name is Steve Scher. Thank you for being here. I'm Katie, Katie Sewell. Hi, everyone. Sherman Alexi will be here in a minute. We'll tell you a story first. Urban animal encounters. Why? Right. We were going to show the videos that you can see of the little cats loving the little dogs, or the owl and the dog playing together, or the pig and the crow or the hedgehog and the lion. We love those videos. We just, we just love them. They're, they have millions and millions of views. And I just keep hoping that someday we'll also love, I mean this, the little, the little fellas that live out there that make us the seventh largest rat city in the and that, and that we'll love the squirrels, the raccoons even, that eat our grapes the possums who do their things, because there's, we're just not leaving a lot of room for them. So I thought, I bet all of you have stories that will both sadden us, but inspire us. Yes? And that's what we're doing here today. Yes. Inspire you to love the animals. I should mention that uh, earlier today, as I'm leaving to do this show, there was a raccoon sitting in one of my lounge chairs out in the backyard. <laughs> a fine way to start the day. That's very good. Steve, uh, do you have any good animal encounters? My, uh, I, have, I, I have a couple I'll say. But I had, we have a wonderful dog, very old. Food's inside, keep the door closed. But it, you know, it's hot right now. So, had the door open about six o'clock in the evening. My sister lives in, a, in the house in the back and, and we were in the living room and I hear her coming up on the, onto the deck, pump, pump, and then, oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> And we jump up. We thought, I thought she had fallen. I thought something had happened. I said, what? What is it? My sister said there was one raccoon eating his food, and the other raccoon had undone the latch uh, where we keep the dog food in the, in the garbage can, you know, we keep the dog food. And he had his, he had his whole, like, his head and body or so in there. And, and I said, how'd you get them? I mean, they were raccoons, right? And, so all, and she said, well, the oh, my God, was enough to have them look up. She said they looked at her. 
They looked, they looked at her, and she said, one of them, one of them, I don't know which one, went, <sighs> <laughs> and then they left. And, they, and where they live, I don't know, but then they just, that's, that's our friends. Our friends, the raccoons. I have to tell one story, which is something a lot of people know about me if they're close to me, and my sister's here too, so she could tell you the story as well, but we're duck people, our family. <laughs> we were born into it. My parents, after they got married, didn't get a dog, they got a duck, and they moved it into their apartment. And so we've lived with ducks in our homes um, throughout our lives. Uh, the favorite one I ever had was a mallard that we found, it was a lost baby that was running through traffic and we managed to capture it. And the thing that's so wonderful about having a mallard is um, among things like it can fly and such like that makes it more exciting. Really great thing about it is when you're out in public with it, it follows you, it, it's imprinted on you. So I used to take this mallard down to the beach and uh, I was actually trying to teach it to swim in the waves with the idea that one day it would go off and be a real duck out in the world. But this woman comes up to me as I'm just walking along the beach, and she's following very close, and she said, why is that mallard following you? And I looked around like as if I hadn't noticed, and I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I took off running up the hill, and of course the duck was running as fast as it could <laughs> up the hill. So yes, and uh, you know, people always ask, well, if you keep a duck in a house, you know, doesn't it just poop everywhere? Yeah. It does. <laughs> but, um, thing that I know and how I now know that I'm not alone in this duck living in house thing is that if you google duck diapers now no it is a thing that now exists for people like us <laughs> <laughs> exactly very nice well and without further ado let's bring out our guest for the evening author Sherman Alexi <laughs> Should I give you a better intro than that, or do you guys all know who he is? Author of many books. He needs no introduction. On my way here, I stopped at the light over here, and I have allergies. And the combination of my allergies, and then the sun hit me, and I sneezed, and I hit the gas, and I slightly bumped the bicyclist in front of me. Just a little bit. And she turned around, and she was so pissed, as she should have been, right? And I rolled on the window. I, no, I buzzed, rolled down the window. Where, where am I? I, I uh, well, I rolled down the window, and uh, I leaned out. I said, I'm so sorry. I sneezed. I sneezed. And she said, you're Sherman Alexi. <laughs> so I said, oh, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Your bike's okay? She goes, yeah, no. That happens all the time. <laughs> you know, and I'm driving away. It happens all the time. Indians sneeze and hit your bike all the time. I was thinking it was famous authors. Famous authors? Like, like famous authors of yeah. Seattle who caused bike wrecks. Like David Gu Yeah, I remember that time David Gooderson yeah, right. hit my scooter. That's right. J.A. Jance is just a dangerous driver. Yes. Uh, well, I am a bad driver in a lot of ways because I daydream. So it's quite possible I could have hit her anyway. <laughs> I mean, not hard. I've never hit anybody hard. Not yet. That prompts the question. A little negative to start, but you know we'll get better. Ever hit any animals? Accidentally? Have I, have I ever? No. You know, in fact, really? no. And wow. which is amazing that I grew up in Eastern Washington and I spent a lot of time driving on some of the most deer kill roads in the in the world. 
395 going up north in Spokane up through uh, up to Chewila and Colville is I think the most deadly stretch of deer roadkill in the country and I've never hit it my brother has hit four deer and totaled four cars in his life I've never hit one wow but he never got uh, hurt uh, he never got hurt uh, uh, he he never got killed okay <laughs> uh, the deer were in trouble once he a friend of his who did die in the wreck. That's the kind of thing you get to say when you're a reservation Indian. And yeah. then he died in the wreck. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the truck flipped over and threw his friend out and threw my brother out of the truck after they dodged a deer. The truck fell on my brother. And when they got there, they couldn't find him. And then they heard him. The truck bed had fallen on him, but in reverse. So yeah. he was trapped under the truck, but inside the bed. Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, so, yeah, that's, I, my brother has 18,000 stories wow. that way, avoiding disaster. But in terms of driving, I wasn't driving. A huge owl came swooping down into our headlights. It came flying right at us, and its wingspan was bigger than the 280Z my friend was driving. And, you know, generally when you don't see a bird, you don't think we're going to die from that bird. <laughs> but that bird was coming. I thought, whoa, I'm going to die by an owl. And in our tribe, owls are the messenger of death. So even as it was happening, I thought, well, I'm really going to die in a really traditional way. <laughs> yeah, your, your ancestors Yeah, I know. Everybody, I'd get to heaven and they'd be giving me high fives. They'd be like, yeah. I mean, we had to get killed by a white guy to get here. That reminds but me they of, had a horse. That reminds me of, um, we had a guest on weekday back when we did that show once that told us that there's almost never a period when you see an owl and the owl hasn't already spotted you. And he said, we're not watching owls, they're watching us. And I told you that. And you said, that is the most horrifying thing I have ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not an owl fan. <laughs> uh, they I'm are watching. A, I mean, I'm not a fan of birds in general. What? I have a crow on my shirt. How can you sit oh, next wait. to me and say that? Go ahead. I mean, they're assholes. <laughs> They're dinosaurs? Yeah, dinosaurs are apparently assholes too. I mean, birds are just descended from millions of years of assholes. They're bad neighbors. They're loud and rude. If, if a human being behaved like the crows in my neighborhood, breaking into the garbage, strewing things, waking us up, sitting on our that. cars, if my neighbor shat on my car all the time. So you don't have bird feeders then? Oh, I don't have bird, no, I don't have bird feeders. I mean, I don't harm them. Or we have woodpeckers. Oh, on your house? Yeah, they come to our house. And for, for years, I thought they were just uh, yeah. like looking for bugs. Somebody told me they're feeding, and no, they're not. That's how they mate. They, yeah. th they call for... Your house is a sex so, toy. So, yeah. <laughs> so they're just going bang, bang, bang. So whenever you hear that in the morning, you're like, oh, my God, woodpeckers are screwing on my house. <laughs> So, you know, they've turned, it's, I've got a woodpecker brothel. The south side of our house is a woodpecker babes in Toyland, is what it is. And now I, I have no issue with a human one, because they're nice. And I like looking at humans having sex. No, you've never seen a bird have sex. Have you seen a bird have sex? Yeah. You, you people have seen birds having sex? You are observant pigeons? people. You don't see pigeons? Oh, I guess pigeons. You need to get show. out of your house. I guess so. I'm watching them at the bird I feeder. Say, see... I bet you've seen some raccoons going for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. In my house. <laughs> but only the south side of the house. Only Why do you think that is? I don't. Uh, there's no windows. 
all the other house parts of the house have windows, but that south side, I don't know why it doesn't have windows. Well, no, now I know why it has windows. I've forgotten. Because when it was built, the, the next building next door was the Salvation Army Church. So I think they must have been atheist builders. Yeah. So I do not want to look upon God. Yeah. Uh, and now that Salvation Army Church has been turned into condos about 10 years ago. So, and then another house came in between us. So it has no purpose now other than we don't have to look in at our neighbors. I want to put a picture up of this animal encounter that you had, Sherman. This is in the spirit of what I wanted the show to be like, rather than running over animals. <laughs> there it is. Okay, so this spring, was it this spring? I was in Walla Walla speaking at Whitman College. And I was walking across campus with a group of students and a professor. And they were asking me questions. And a young woman asked me a question about spirituality. And I said, well, there's this idea that Native Americans are more spiritual than everybody else, that, that we have this special connection to nature. And, and we don't. Uh, we have the same connection to nature that everybody else does. It's just that part of it is because of the genocide that happened here, that people romanticize us as a way of trying to compensate for the fact that we got genocided and try to give us superpowers. But none of that is true. We cannot talk to the animals. And right when I said this, <laughs> This baby squirrel came running out of a bush and jumped onto my leg and clung to me. <laughs> and you whispered to it. And, and, and yeah, I'm the squirrel whisperer. You said, not now. Yes. I said, too early. You jumped the queue. And uh, 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 so, I mean, Everybody was stunned, and, you know, I've never had that happen to me. I mean, I grew up in the woods. I've never had a squirrel jump on me. Uh, and uh, so, and it was terrified. It was just shaking. And, and uh, uh, we, we didn't know what to do. But it being a small liberal arts college in the United States, a dude walked by with a bag of organic feed. It wasn't specifically squirrel feed, but it was animal feed. Why he? I said, why, why do you have that? And he goes, Don't know, dude. <laughs> oh, this is, I forgot you're on a podcast. Uh, but, uh, uh, he shrugs. So, so we, 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 yeah, in parentheses, Sherman shrugged. And uh, uh, Sherman shrugged organically. And, uh, and there was a slight hint of patchouli, as he did. And, uh, uh, so we, we put the feed down, and he didn't want it. And then these two young women walked by, and they had bananas. So they put the bananas down by the feet, so the baby squirrel's kind of chewing on a banana. And we're trying to figure out what to do with this poor, shaky thing, and we're looking around. And then somebody says, well, you can't touch it, because then the mama won't take it back. And I said, no, that's not even true for birds. But I had to get to class, so the two young women said, oh, we'll take it, we'll take it to the vet. They went down and picked it up, and then they walked off with my squirrel. <laughs> but in a huge coincidence, when I appeared on the Colbert Report for the first time a few years ago, uh, he, being playing the character, asked me what my, you know, what my spirit animal was. <laughs> and just jokingly, I said, the squirrel. <laughs> 
And now okay. we know. Maybe not a coincidence. So, it was so, true. so maybe I had a vision quest on the Colbert Report. <laughs> Which would mean I'm the most assimilated Native American of all time. <laughs> you know, um, when Katie asked you if you wanted to do this, you said, yeah, because nobody's ever asked me to talk about this. Well, not about urban animals. I, I mean, I grew up, I'm an Indian, so they, ask, they probably want to ask me about cougars. Cougars and deer and elk and eagles. What can you tell us about eagles, Sherman? Uh, <laughs> nothing. But uh, pigeons, but you could go on about pigeons. I've, I've lived in the city for 24 years. Uh, uh, but, uh, but nobody ever asked me about urban animals. And also they assume I have, they, I mean, there is the unspoken suggestion yeah. that I somehow have a better connection. My office, my first office I had away from my house in Seattle was about 10 blocks away. And uh, I was an insomniac then, so I would write until 3 or 4 and then walk home. And one night I was walking home and I saw a possum up ahead. And it's just a possum, and I saw it and I said, hey, possum. And then he, he rose up and he went, Arr. And I went, I was, I was laughing. I laughed at him, which I probably shouldn't have done, because then he chased me. <laughs> so it's 3 in the morning, and I'm running down 29th with a possum behind me. And the thing is, I'm really slow. I'm not a fast runner. And neither a possum, but he was still catching me. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm going to have to turn and fight. I'm thinking, it's a possum. I can punt that thing 40 yards. I thought, but do I want to punt him? And, what? and then I thought, rabies. So I'm running from the possum, thinking, what if it has rabies? And I'm laughing because I'm running from a possum. And I'm running, I'm, I'm laughing loud enough. I'm thinking, I'm going to wake somebody up. And they're going to look out their window. And they're going to say, is that Sherman Alexi running from a possum? <laughs> you know? And then the other woman is going to say, hey, he hit me on his, with his car once. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but it happens all the time. It happens all the time. But, but as I was, you know, I, don't, I have a dumb phone. I don't have a smartphone. So the whole time I was running, I kept thinking, I wish I had a better phone because I wanted to look up if there was a rabies problem in Seattle. Because oh, the thing is, the chase was so slow that I could have done a Google search. See, I thought you were going to put it up on YouTube and have one another cuddly animal. Oh, out. no, I, I didn't even think about filming it. I just thought, do possums get rabies in Seattle? And if it would have said not really, I would have turned around and I would have punted the thing. And then I would have been a warrior. Can I? My Indian name would have been Possum Killer. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's Squirrel Whisperer. Squirrel Whisperer. <laughs> Can I tell a story? Uh, Evan, will you put up Steve's horrible picture, please? All right. Oh! Now, this is my neighbor. This is my neighbor. Honestly, it's my neighbor, who I told him yesterday I was doing this. Dear podcast audience, it's a crime scene up on the wall <laughs> It's a now. shovel and, a, and a, what looks to be an incapacitated raccoon. It was my neighbor. <laughs> this isn't neighbor in the he, quotes, he, either. This is the walking, real neighbor. He's, he's coming out of his house. At the time, he had a wonderful old dog that was in the backyard, and the dog was screaming, a big dog too, screaming and squealing, and just carrying on to no end. And he said, what is going on out there? And he comes down into his backyard, and that raccoon is sitting on the back of the dog, biting it. Oh! It had already bitten it like five or six times, and it was bleeding. The dog was bleeding, and the raccoon was, was still attacking it. And my neighbor said, well, I got to do something. 
And he, and he said, get off of him, get off of him. And that didn't work. And then he, the dog is still squealing and the dog is coming towards him because he wants protection. And he runs in and he gets that. And he recommends that if you're going to do this, get a short-handled shovel because you get more leverage on the hit. So yes, he killed that raccoon, which is probably not legal. Though that might not, it might not matter because you know varmints don't have the same. I, I don't think raccoons are yeah. endangered. Yeah, and so he, his dog had to go to the vet. Did not have rabies, but had to be checked. That was his urban animal encounter. It was not pretty. And then, of course, he had to tell his daughters what he had done. Well, there is a myth that raccoons are just cute. Yeah, no, they're little not. with their little hands washing things. But no, uh, that that same office. I came home one night, drove home. And I pulled up, and there was a raccoon sitting at the bottom of our steps. And I got out, and I said, go away. And he stood up and gave me the eye. Yeah. Might have been the same squirrel. We live in the same neighbor. I mean, same raccoon. Yeah. And uh, I just got back in the car, and my car seats go all the way back. So I just got in the car and leaned back and went to sleep. And I woke up about 5.30 AM, and he was gone. <laughs> he could have taken you out. Oh, it was raccoon? Big time. I so, do not mess with And raccoon. I didn't have a shovel. No. Short-handled one. You did have a car. I did. Yeah, but <laughs> I would have had to run up my porch with it. So well, uh, you could take that one down now because people are eating. Yes. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, so that's much so better. Much the squirrel is so much better. But but I mean, the, the great thing about asking me this is I have so many poems about urban animal encounters, crows and birds and observations and things I've seen. Uh, you know, I saw I saw a crow take a pigeon out of the air, just put him down on the ground. It was like, whoa! I saw three squirrels go running out in front of a car, and the car was going to hit. I thought, oh my God! And, you know, I closed my eyes while driving, which makes me think that's why I hit people. And, and, uh, uh, and, and I opened them again, and the squirrels were in the road okay, except I was coming at them now. But I was only going 20, so I braked. And then they just stood there looking at me like, you know, we made it. And then they ran off. I, oh, I have one poem about a crow. I saw this, I came out of my house, and we have a, a long steps, and as I was walking down the steps, I saw a crow come and land on our brick wall, near our tomatoes. Uh, I say our tomatoes, I have nothing to do with them. Near my wife's tomatoes, our tomatoes. Uh, and uh, the crow landed, and it was just a crow, and then it turned its head, and it had one blue feather. Cool. It was a punk crow. And, and, <laughs> And, and I looked closer and I thought it was dye or food or something, but no, it was a blue feather. And then I thought, was it just stuck on there? No, and it was smooth. It was so, and I've, I've asked for years and people don't believe me. They think I missaw it or they think I'm just telling a story for the sake of telling a story. But I saw a crow with one blue feather. But anytime you look at a crow in the light, it's got a lot of colors in it. No, I'm talking black. blue. Like blue, I'm talking, like, like blue like my pants. That's cool. Blue so, like my pants. What's going on? I mean, they matter to you then. If they're, if they're triggering poems, these encounters, even with, even with the bastard birds, there's a connection. Oh, yeah. No, I know the neighborhood crows. Don't you all know your neighborhood crows oh, by yeah. sight? Yeah. I mean, I have names for them. There's Billy and Bobby. Uh, I have Roger Clinton. Really? He drinks a little bit? Uh, the first time I saw him, he was getting into a Bud Light can. <laughs> so, so I call him Roger Clinton. Uh, this is a long time ago. But uh, yeah, they have personalities. 
I mean, the thing is, you live with them, and you just because you live in a city doesn't mean you don't also live in nature constantly. Yeah. yeah. Which is one of the things I hate about the romanticism of, of the rural Americas, the idea that somehow it's more pure or, or you learn more about nature when you're in, in the wilderness, which is not true. There are more, there is more contact in a city among animals and human beings than there ever is in the wilderness. So the fact is, is that you have far more chance for, for violence and, and intensity and poetry and beauty and harmony in a city than you ever will in the wilderness. So I've had all these amazing encounters over the years because I pay attention. And I don't discount them. I don't look at a three-legged pigeon down on the wharf and think, oh, there's a three-legged pigeon. Or, or, pigeon. No, I, I, I wonder now, how the hell did that happen? You know, what predator did you defeat? And when, when it happened, were you like, yeah. I, I, so I start looking at this three-legged, this three one-legged pigeon. I just gave pigeons legs. <laughs> I was going to say, I just, what does defeat have to do? What kind I thought of he pigeon took it as a trophy. This? I thought it was like a trophy. What kind, of mutant, what, what kind of mutant pigeon is this? Well, it was, it was hanging over by the nuclear submarines. Uh, but one-legged pigeon, and, you, and you, you give it a story. So I wandered around giving people stories all the time, but I also give the animals stories and, and try to guess at their narrative. And, you know, the sacred happens when you pay attention to narrative, when you make up your own narrative, when you tell the stories. And the thing is, I think my relationship with animals and nature is half antagonistic, but that's beautiful. I love the nature of the city. It's not like they're not out to get you at some yeah. point. Oh, no, they are. Some Has anybody are. encountered a coyote in the city? Yeah, all right, well, we're going to get some of those stories. I, here, I was in uh, the, the marsh, the old marsh by the University of Washington. It used to be the dump, the Motlakeville. And I was walking on a trail, and it was overgrown with uh, blackberries, so it was a very narrow corridor. And I rounded this corner, and uh, just over this log was a coyote devouring a goose. Ooh. And I, we were close, right? And it looks up. You know, it's a wild coyote. And he looked at me, what are you doing? Kind of stepped like that. And I went, oh, my God, no. And I got really big like that. And then he, or she, was gone. But took the goose. Ran with the goose? <laughs> Ran with the goose. You got to take the goose. That's uh, uh, funny. I don't know why it made me think of it. But I've encountered two bears in the wild. Both, I think, were baby bears, which, you know, is kind of worse in some ways, because where's the mother? One, again, I can point to my sister. One, one was with her while we were on horseback. There was a baby grizzly bear. Ooh. And another time I was driving in a car uh, along the Blue Ridge Mountains, and a baby black bear poked its head over the side, the side rail. This is all to say that every time I've seen a bear, it's always made this face. <laughs> like this big, surprised face. And so I thought, well, maybe that's just what bears do. I've never encountered any bears. I've seen a bear twice this summer. After this summer? many years of not, the same bear taking my son to the camp where he's working. There's a black bear that roams around near the camp. Twice this summer as I've driven him to camp, they call him Norman. <laughs> Norman has, you know, walked across the road, and he stops and looks, and he keeps walking. So He waves. <laughs> he waves. Well, I'm making up a narrative. So, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, he, he waves and then goes on with his business. But uh, he, he, he looks really small. Uh, but the last time I saw no. a black bear was on my reservation where one came out of hibernation too early. 
climbed up on the roof of the Catholic Church and fell asleep. <laughs> so he was up there, you know, on the roof, conked out. So it took a long time because it's the res, but they finally got animal control people out there, park rangers, and they tranquilized him, which he was already asleep. So <laughs> it, it seemed a little redundant. So they shot him, tranquilized him, and then they got up there, and they were trying to get him off safely, but then he rolled, uh-huh. and, and he fell. Uh, but then they got him in the truck and took him out. And he probably woke up going, God, I'm sore. What is yeah. the matter with me? And he was, like, he was like, all I wanted was some Eucharist. <laughs> so the, the sacred and the profane. I mean, we, we live in a jungle. And, we don't, and when we see it, it's like you say, when we actually see it, even those little, you know, our friends, the rats, they're part of that amazing cycle that's going well, on. Well, I'm thinking, you know, I read that this morning, which was amazing. I wouldn't have ever guessed we had more rats than New York City. Yeah. That's Giuliani, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, yeah. Well, well, when he left, all his campaign contributors left, too. Oh. But, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but reading, if, if, we're, if we're more ratty than New York, and New York has like 200 rats per city block. Yeah. That means we have more than two, right now, right now, within this area, from top to bottom, there are at least 200 rats. They're, down, they're downstairs in the basement making meals. Yes. And, you know, just thinking about things. So when there was that bad winter, that last bad winter, that really bad one, uh, the rats came into houses. I don't know if you got them. The rats came fleeing the yeah. snow. So I had an epic battle with rats, epic battle with rats. Uh, what? what were they doing? Uh, well, they were in my house. I know, so, so I tried to how kill did them. you engage? I tried to kill them. I did all sorts of things. I tried all sorts of things. I went and bought these, these powerful, scary traps, these, these killing snap. Like, you know, on the thing it says, we'll break their spines. And, and uh, uh, so I went into our crawl space. And our crawl space is tall, so it's like Godzilla's crawl space. <laughs> and I battled them and battled them, and finally I, I resorted because I tried to do it non-lethally, which just meant you know that our crawl space smelled like cinnamon, and and uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which the rats really like. Yeah, yeah, that and uh, nice. <laughs> and so uh, it's, yeah, it smelled like a Tom's deodorant ad, and uh, uh, cinnamon on body odor. But uh, uh, I set these traps, and they like peanut butter. So I had all these gloves on. I took. And I didn't shower for a couple days, and I made myself kind of odiferous in a way that wasn't human. I don't want to explain why I went. I, I did things. I'm not even understanding why you did that. <laughs> I went to an outdoor shop and, and put liquids on myself, <laughs> so I wouldn't smell human when I got the traps out. I, 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 see. I smelled like rabbit pee. Yeah. And and uh, yeah. uh, you were you were bait. I was full on this, <laughs> so I, I smelled like rabbit pee, and I got peanut butter out because I love peanut butter, not. Cheese, they love peanut butter. So I put peanut butter on the traps. And then I waited, because the thing is you're supposed to wait. You gotta wait and make sure your smell is completely out of there. You gotta wait days. They're smart, they're careful. You know, they'll come to a trap for days on end investigating it. So I waited a week. And then I went downstairs into the crawl space, thinking I'm gonna triumph over these rats. The peanut butter was mostly gone. The trap had not been snapped. And there was a rat turd right on the rest of the peanut butter. <laughs> and it smelled like cinnamon. And it smelled like cinnamon. And, and, and so, I mean, I so wish I would have had a camera down there. I would have loved to have seen that rat doing that, just yeah. squatting over my trap. You know, 
just flipping off the camera with his little rat hand. So I saw that, and then I called the exterminators. Yeah. Well, you know, um, we were joking about the squirrel whisperer, but we had that same problem, and no nothing was working. Called out a guy who I will, for, for the purpose of the narrative, we'll call the rat whisperer, and he was able to walk around my house. He had the zone. He knew what was happening. And he said, oh, they're coming in here, coming in here, here. And he blocked everything up. He said, I, I, I have it. He was confident. He said, well, no, you should come back tomorrow. I said, no, I'll come back in a year. And he had it. He got him. He, he kept him out. So you need that guy. Well, I had a guy like that. And we did, we did, <laughs> we did seal it off. And it didn't work. No, it worked. Uh, but, but, and I, I have a poem about this. I should have brought some of these, right? But... Uh, because the thing is, you're still killing animals, regardless of, of whether you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your family, your home, from the damage they can do, from the diseases they can bring in. So I don't have any moral qualms about doing it, but, but still, you're still killing an animal, and you still have to respect that. You still have to respect the fact that you've taken a life, or many lives. So about a year later, I was down in the crawl space again, and we were down there thinking about, we've thought for years of refinishing it, turning it into something. So. And I noticed that a piece of the insulation had moved. So I went and looked, and I pulled it back, and this rat nest dropped. And there were four rat baby skeletons. Oh, really? So we had obviously killed the mom. And then these poor little rat babies had starved. So. You know, you're looking at that going, oh my God, I'm a mass murderer. <laughs> so still, I still flinch thinking about seeing it. And, you know, I told friends about this later, and they're like, you should have given me one of those. I would have put it on my desk. Oh. And I said, why am I your friend? <laughs> uh, so we, we, we had a little ceremony for the babies. You did? Yeah. I mean, that begs the question that we were getting at all along. Why kill them? Steve was on my case earlier this year because I was trying to figure out what to do th about the slugs in my garden and he said I'm living now under a live and let live policy and so I adopted the live and let live policy which in general with any creature larger than a slug I adopt anyway I even take the spiders outside although I did find out that they're house spiders don't yeah. take them outside it's they're a death sentence yeah. um, but why why kill them why not block them out somehow and live and let live let them go on their merry way because they have diseases and they, they, they chew on things like wires. The, the chewing on wires is enough for me. They do like to chew they, on wires. They, they pull stuff in and they create potential fire hazards. Uh, well, what about outside of rats? If they're not in my house, be free. Live and let live. Live and let live, all 200 of you in this room. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, but if they're in my house. And, and I don't kill spiders unless they're a certain size. I have rules, or the fast ones, the If they're really spiders. small, you, then you kill them when they're really small. No, 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 I, I leave them alone. But one thing, I, I also had a battle with the hobo spider in my TV room. I don't know if you know how fast they are. I don't know if you've seen these spiders. I mean, ridiculously fast. So you've never seen one unless you've seen a spider so fast that it terrifies you. And I'm not scared of spiders, but this moves so f I was watching TV, and I saw something move across, and my first thought was mouse. And then I looked, and it was a spider. And I thought, no, it didn't go that quick. And I, I moved, and it went whew. And I thought, you're dead. So, and I actually have a, a huge number of 
I have a chronicle of my battle with the hobo spider that was privately shared with my friends. It was a long adventure of battle trying to get it. And uh, I finally figured out. But the thing is, I went and bought these sticky traps. And I put them everywhere trying to figure out where he was. And I couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't figure it out. But the thing was, every night, I caught spiders. And I felt so bad. Because sometimes I'd go down there in the morning, and I'd pull the board out of somewhere. And there'd be like five spiders of very different sizes. You're like, oh, I didn't want you. You don't bother me, little tiny spider. And then you'd have to, I'd have to have some you know, ceremony for the spiders I killed. I just want the fast one. And, and uh, uh, finally, after two weeks, I figured out that there was in my bookshelf, there was this little hole where I hadn't put the IKEA screw in. And I thought, that's where he is. So I put the board right under there. And it had a little roof on it uh, to make it feel safer than it was. And then the next morning, I went down there, and I couldn't quite see. It was dark, and I was looking in there, and I couldn't see. And my wife came in. Is it in there? I said, I don't know. And I could just sort of sense my, my, my Indian hunting spider sense. <laughs> and I looked, and I, th- I, think, I think it's in there. And, and she goes, I, I go, you got a flashlight? You got a flashlight? She goes, I don't know. Well, give me your cell phone. So she gave me her cell phone, and I hit the light on it. It was right there, and its eyes sparkled from the cell light. And I went, oh! And I reared back, and my finger caught the trap. And I flung it. <laughs> so the trap goes flying through the air and lands, and the roof pops off. And then the hobo spider's running, but one leg is caught. Just one leg in the sticky. So he's running, and he's dragging the little the board. And the thing is, it's a pretty big board. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's not just fast. He's strong. And, 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 and I think, don't let him go. Don't let him go. Because he's running. He's over by my wife. And she just goes. She's out of the room. She books out of the room. So I'm running over there. And I'm just reaching for anything. And I grab a shoe. And I went, bang. And I hit him. And he, he kind of was there. And then he wasn't moving. And then he ran again. And boom, I hit him again. And he was dead. And, and, and then I took a picture, <laughs> and, I, and I sent it out to the, like, 40 people who were on my spider hunting list. And I said, the battle is over. Sherman has won. Yeah. Did you have a ceremony for him? No. <laughs> By the way, what was, what was the deal? What? Hobo spider. So what? He was too fast. You afraid he was going to bite The thing him? is, they bite. They bite. Because they have such, they're so blind that they, and they, they get snuck up on, and then they'll bite you. So, like, if they end up in your bed, and if you roll, like a regular spider wouldn't necessarily bite you because they're aware. But this hobo spider might not even know he's in bed with you. It's you know, not he's that like, bad a bite. He's like Pioneer Square in the 80s. But, uh, you get uh, it treated. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh <laughs> So you can get bit more often by a hobo spider than other spiders. I research for this stuff, man. I'm sure. I, I mean, it's not that bad. You and I got like seven great right. poems out of it. Seven? Yeah, I need it. I'm going to just publish a book called urban. My, my Battle with the Animals. Yeah. Urban poems, Animal Encounters. <laughs> yeah. See, I just feel like if he could drag the trap, if he, could, if he was so victorious, he shouldn't let him go, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> he scared me. <laughs> Well, well, think about how much you scared him. <laughs> that never even occurred to me. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, other spiders I let go. Like, the, like big wolf ones, I don't care about them. They take out all sorts of bugs. I love wolf spiders, you know, the giant ones who 
sit, they sit, they're in, always in our laundry room up on the, up on the corner. We're like, hey. But one died up there. We left him up there for about a year. It was our museum of the dead wolf spider. Sometimes they live in your bathtub, too, right? Does, does, it, does anybody agree with me on hobo spiders? Am I alone in this battle? I feel like this is a live and let live crowd. Am I wrong? No. You can just hear no. the like, ah, oh, every time you kill something in this room. It's terrible. How many of you will be eating meat this evening? <laughs> and already have. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> you're, you're groaning about me going after the hobo spider. but How about you guys over there, Miles? Got any good um, animal encounter stories? So many great stories have happened already. It made me think of at least a dozen animal stories. So, but I think we're going to... Are insects animals? Well, they can. Spiders. Yeah. We haven't talked about spider, it. So. The size of the spider. I guess that's an insect. Okay, right. Well, yes, Miles and Karina had an encounter with, with an insect. We were coming back from Bainbridge Island, and we were sitting in the car at the ferry line and waiting for just anything to happen because the ferry wasn't coming. And this green Katie did landed on the windshield, which, of course, we were very excited about, and we instantly named it something. I forget. What do you call it? Yes, yeah, intergalactic, Katie did. The intergalactic Katie did. But it, it sat on the windshield for a while. We sort of forgot about it. We ferry came, took the ferry home, parked the car in the garage, got up the next day because we had a gig at the Ballard Seafood Fest, which is just the throngs of people. We drove in through the throngs of people, parked the car behind the stage, did our show, came out, and someone said, hey, man, there's this... Katie did on your car, and we're like, no, can't be, and I went over, and sure enough, was still on the car. So we're all marveling at that for a while, and many things went on. We got back in the car, made our way through the crowd, back on the freeway, drove home, I got home, pulled the car in the driveway, Katie did still on the car. I'd like to interject (laughs) that it was actually still alive. And (laughs) It wasn't, so we started thinking, maybe this was not from here, maybe I've heard of stories that if you're going to be an inter the galactic traveler, you would come as an insect because you could, you're small. Disguise. And you can, yeah, you can, maybe it wasn't even really an animal. Maybe it was just a little vessel of some sort from another universe, perhaps. So go. then I took a photo of it and I got in the, in the back and I took a picture of that. Well, I've got to document this. So what ended up happening was I, it, was, it would, had moved to the back of the car and it was right on the, where the lid of the trunk goes to the back. So there's a flat part of the lid and there's the back part of the trunk. And I took the photo, and it was straddling both spots. So it looked like it was from another universe, because half of it was in the <laughs> shiny part of the top, and half of it was in the back. It's the best photo I've ever taken. <laughs> that's great. That's my story. I don't and know. that's why you have 10,000 followers on Instagram, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was before you? Instagram, unfortunately, uh, yes. Mostly alien. Yes. I have, I have a... I mean, we're talking about urban animals and how the, the you know how we might think about them. So I, I'll, I'll tell you my horror story, my personal horror story, but it's not urban. Um, I was in college, was the, we, had, we had summer break, went logging with my friend Dean in the Malala, outside of Malala, Oregon. And uh, this was back when they were still a lot of trees there in the 70s before we'd cut them all down. And we went into this drainage, all old growth, you know, never been cut. We're cutting the old growth forest down. And we're going around this drainage like this. And as we're cutting it, didn't really notice at the beginning, but as we're cutting it, and we're coming around this side, as the big trees would come down, 
three flying squirrels would leap out to the next tree. And so we know this is about a five-day process. And we're, we're down to the last tree. And we cut the last huge old-growth tree down. And as it's going down, these three flying squirrels leap out into the void. And then they land, chunk on the ground, and I don't know what happened to them after that. That was when I realized what we were doing to this planet. <laughs> you, you were, when was this? 1974, 73. I gotta say, this is a lot more of a depressing show than I was picturing it. <laughs> this is why we have to acknowledge that, they're, that these brats and pigeons and blue jays are a part of our lives, because we, if we see that, Maybe I'll maybe we'll be a little hesitant to take the old growth down next time. Well, wipe out the well I mean that's interesting. If we can teach people to fall in love with these rats, maybe they'll fall in love more with the deer and, and the elk and the moose and everything else we're killing. Yeah. If uh, you can't be in love with uh, with a sparrow, can you be in love with salmon? Yeah. Uh, and why do we value one more than the other? Uh, yeah. so uh, I mean, who would ever think of having sympathy for flying squirrels? Uh, well, if you watched Rocky when yeah, you were a kid, right? So. <laughs> it's also interesting. I mean, how many of you grew up in the city? So a few of you. I mean, I grew up in small towns. You know, my relationship with nature is small town. It's farm town. It's ranch. It's cows and pigs. You know, I worked summer job at a slaughterhouse. Wow. So I was the broom boy. And whenever people hear that, they're like, oh, how did you manage to eat meat again? I thought I had meat for lunch uh, that day. Uh, and then when you grow up in the, in the woods like I did, you know, you could be lost a quarter mile from my house. I, I have the Oz too. Like, I mean, I, that made me sad about the squirrels. But uh, I guess the thing is, I also know I'm exactly like them. <laughs> I'm just another animal. I think when you grow up, uh, where you have to be careful, where working forestry one summer I tromped through a brush and there was a moose right there. Moose are killers. Uh, and then I just stepped back into the brush or we were chainsawing some brush and the guy in front of me hit a beehive, a huge beehive, and I'm allergic. So all I heard him yell was, bees! And I'm running. And I'm slow, remember? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, I can't outrun these bees. And that old joke came into my head, but I can outrun JoJo. <laughs> and we got to the truck and jumped in and jumped in, and then the swarm hit the truck. And you could hear it hit the truck. It's like, stack. Well, like it was some horror movie then, and I'm yelling, close the vents, close the vents. Like, that's going to happen. But, uh, uh, and there weren't that many. But uh, uh, then we drove away. And you go up hyper aware of what's around you when you grow up having dinner at your friend's house and you're wondering where their pet sheep is that they just showed. You're like, where? so how's Rodney doing? And you're, oh, that is Rodney. Oh. Oh. Okay. You taste good, Rodney. Thanks, uh, Rodney. Uh, it, it's both more utilitarian, your relationship to nature and animals, but it, I, I, in a lot of ways it's also more intimate. Yeah, and respectful? More respectful. Yeah. yeah. Animals make huge sacrifices all the time, and I think it's easier to forget that when you're living in an urban environment. Like those guys. <laughs> Right? I mean, we all sort of denigrate the seagull, and yet pretty remarkable that it sticks around and looks at us and just waits for us to drop a french fry. Well, and let's also point out that the seagull 
is one of the most efficient birds when it comes to walking, swimming, and flying. Because it does all three well? Look, yeah. Look at a duck. Triple he doesn't threat. walk so well. Seagull can run, outrun you if it needs to. Yeah. I've had that happen, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My friend does call the seagulls the birds that have no sense, though, because when all the other birds are tucked in at, at night, they're still up. They're up at all hours. I will tell you my most contentious relationship with animals in the city is with cats. Because? I hate cats. Inside, outside, wildcats? Number one, they're mass murderers <laughs> on, on a Stalin-esque scale. <laughs> the domestic house cat is, they're a bunch of Stalins wiping out millions and millions of small animals and birds. Just yeah. completely, completely. Lizards. Completely on a scale that is astonishing. Just look it up. Also, they're assholes. Well, they, they, uh, they're in charge. I mean, they the thing is, thing is, if I, want an, if, I, if, if, you know, if I want somebody in the house that has a really contentious, ambivalent relationship with me, I have my kids, my wife, my, my brother-in-law. You know, I have all my friends. If I want to be mocked, I'll just invite some friends over. Not the thing that depends on me. Do you, uh, you think the cat is sitting there mocking uh, us? Oh, yeah. I mean, recently, I mean, I have, we have a dog, we have a rescue dog. We, we've had her only a year and a half, and she's small. She's a six-pound terrier mix. We're not quite sure what. And so I walk her, which must look pretty funny anyway, because I'm a big guy. So I'm walking my six-pound dog. And she takes me down different blocks. So I've met people I've never, ever met in my neighborhood. And, and sometimes they know who I am, sometimes they don't. But sometimes they're like, oh, I heard you lived in my neighborhood. And, and I thought, oh, that's creepy. <laughs> but uh, I, I, she took me down this block I'd never been down before. And it was so scary. It was this old kind of house. And I'd seen it a couple times when I'd driven down that block. It was old stone house, kind of scary. And there was a woman in front who really did look like, like a middle-aged Emma Watson who plays Hermione in the movies. Really did look like her. But like if Emma Watson's life goes to shit from now on, and then she has those life gone to shit eyes, so this was like Hermione gone bad. And if you're here, I'm sorry, but it's true. Uh, and uh, my first thought was, oh my god, Hermione gone bad. And she was sweeping. She had a broom in her hands. And I'm going, oh my god, this is so crazy. And then I heard that cat noise. And I looked over, and this humongous gray cat was on her sidewalk looking at me. And my little dog went, and My little dog's teeth are about a quarter inch. You know, and I pick up my dog, and that cat just, and the, and the woman laughs. And, she, and it, was, it was like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> thought, oh, my God, she knows exactly who she looks like. She is just screwing with me right now. She stands out here with her broom all day waiting for people to come by. And, and, and. And she goes, oh, that my cat hates everybody, especially me. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm getting out of here. So and before she offers me gingerbread. And, and so I walk away. We walk away, and I get about a half block away, and I put my dog down, and we're walking. And we get about, walk about two blocks, and then I look back, and the cat is following us. We've gone two blocks away, and it's following us. So you know, I go, oh, and he kind of, and he kind of stands there. And so I keep walking, and, and we're walking, and I realize, and it's not looking at me, it's looking at my dog, and I realize that cat is hunting my dog. So, so, so I, I pick my dog up again, 
and I go running at the cat. And he just stands there. He's not afraid at all. You're looking at me like that. Because so you're coming so slow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and all my warrior ancestors are like, oh. <laughs> no wonder we lost. And, and uh, uh, just don't sign the treaty, Sherman. And, and, uh, uh, and, so, and so I get about a foot away, and he, he won't move. He won't move. So I make a, a fake kick. I don't, I'm not going to kick him. I fake kick, and that gets him, and he runs off. So, you know, and I'm feeling really good about myself. I scared off this 12-pound cat terrorizing my six-pound dog. So I'm standing there in the street feeling really proud of myself, you know, holding my little purse dog. And I I look over at the house right here, and there were three young black men sitting on the porch. You know, they were young and beautiful. And they were looking at me. And I'm standing there going, oh. And all these thoughts went through my head. Tried, I wanted to say, I had nothing to say to them. And I, you, know, you know, if I tell the story in the future, I'll probably add something that they said to me to make me feel better about myself. Like, I, I wish one of them had said, I hate that cat. That would have made me feel better, but they said nothing. They just stared at me. <laughs> what is the matter with you, man? That's what they were thinking. No, no, it was, it was, it was, it, it was the least testosterone moment of my entire life. It's one of those moments when every single gray hair on your body just stands up and says, I'm here, I'm here, you're middle-aged. You just felt triumphant for chasing off a house cat. You could feel at least good that the witch didn't take you in. That's true, that's true. But, but I mean, I like some house cats. I have friends who have great house cats. They're probably mass murderers too, but they're charming mass murderers. The best kind. Yeah. So let's hear a story about... Um an animal encounter you had where nobody died, and no, there was no fear. A pleasant urban animal encounter story. I told the blue feather one. Yeah. Well, okay. That's all you got? You want a pleasant animal, animal experience. Uh, oh, I wrote, I have a short story in one of my books about the true thing. Uh, my college girlfriend and I were very estranged, often estranged. And we were fighting, and when we'd argue, we'd go for a walk and argue, because we lived in a little tiny studio apartment. When we argued, everybody would hear you, and then you'd feel terrible. So we went, we walked to argue. So we were walking and arguing, and we were walking through downtown Pullman, which barely qualifies as urban. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, and she had great ears, and she heard something, and I didn't hear anything. She goes, no, listen. Still didn't hear it. No, she goes, listen. And then we heard, And I go, it's an animal. And she goes, yeah, I think it's a cat. And so we walked around, you know, trying to triangulating its position. We were down on the creek there in the middle of Pullman, and it's pretty brambles. It's pretty overgrown down there. It was then. I don't know what it's like now. And we get closer and closer to that little creek, and we hear it. It's down in there somewhere, and it's thorns and, and brambles, and it's, little, it's a maze of scratch the crap out of you vegetation. And my girlfriend says, there's a cat in there. We have to get it. And in my head, I'm thinking, it's a cat. Yeah. But, I also, but it's making that noise. So you know, I roll down my sleeves. I, I put my socks over my jeans. And, and I go down into the maze and getting scratched and cut and bit and getting spider webs in my hair. And I have to go down almost to the water. And I have to reach into this like hole 
that must have been at one point some animal den or something. And I see it in there, and I reach in there, and I grab this cat that barely a cat, just so starved and so dirty. But it has a collar, so I know it's not feral. It had no name on it. It had just a bell. I get it out of there, and I... You know, we get it up to the top, and we're looking at it, and, you know, and it's just so sad. It's, we're both crying how messed up this poor cat is. And my girlfriend says, wait, I remember there was an ad for a lost cat in the student paper. You know, my, my girlfriend, I mean, she was so amazing, she would remember a lost cat ad. And I said, when was this? And she goes, oh, it was like, it was like a month ago, maybe more. So... I worked at the paper, so we actually went back to the archives, and we were reading back, back, back. You know, internet now would have been so much faster, just put lost cat. But, so we were going through back issues, back issues, back issues, back issues, and seven weeks earlier, there had been a lost cat ad wow. for this gray cat with a pink collar. I thought, seven weeks ago, and you remember this? Why was I fighting with you? Uh, <laughs> So, you mean because she was so smart or because well, you no, could remember? No, because she's so smart and sensitive and kind. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would have left the cat there probably. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I, I certainly thought I was risking something. I, I was risking health at least, I, you know, going into the brambles with the stream and rocks. I'm just thinking I don't really deserve this woman. During the course of this journey, I, I was thinking I don't deserve her at all. In <laughs> fact, I think she was right about every single argument we've ever had. Uh, so, so... We call the number and there's no answer, but they had put an address in the ad. So, and it ended up being an apartment in the same complex as, as ours, which was quite coincidental. So we go back home and we walk up and knock on their door. And we're holding this poor thing. And the door opens and it's, they answer the door together, which seems so cinematic, but they, you know, it was like Ricky and Lucy, but they opened the door together. And I, you know, and I, I make up a lot of shit when I'm telling real stories. That part, that I've made up shit along the way. That part was true. They opened the door together, and and uh, uh, which, by pointing that, makes should make you think that they didn't open the door together, but they did open the door together. And 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 they saw the cat, and they looked at us, and I said, my girlfriend said, "Is this your cat?" And they go, "I don't know." It was so. Bedraggled, they didn't know. So we offered it out, and the cat hadn't really looked at him. The cat hadn't really even responded to us. It was just sort of, oh shit, the catness of it all. And uh, uh, but we we held him out, and and the woman took him. And as soon as she touched that cat, that cat went, just like, the energy of her owner's touch just, just restarted her. And and she. And it was, you know, because you never see, like, returning veterans. Yeah. There's no YouTube video of a cat running out of the house to jump on the returning soldier. You've never seen that video. <laughs> you know, oh, you're back. No. Uh, but, but I swear to you, if I'd, we'd had self, I would have filmed this because that cat behaved that way. That cat inflated with her touch and then just started mewing and crying and hugging and licking both of their faces and they were like oh you are he's been gone for two months where did you find him and I said well she my girlfriend heard I didn't hear my girlfriend remembered the ad I'm trying to give her all the credit you know and they're hugging us can we give you a reward no 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 but you have to come to dinner 
No, no, no. <laughs> I saved your cat. I am not interested in any friendships beyond the ones I have. <laughs> and and uh, you know, just because I saved your cat doesn't mean I'm an extrovert. And and uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, so we walk away from that. Uh, we saved a cat, which was, and, and this moment, this moment of beauty, this connection between these people and their animals, which is really amazing to see. The thing is, I wrote it in a story, fictionalized it heavily. And I sent it to my girlfriend, who I hadn't talked to in a long time. But whenever I write something that is really close to an actual event or person, I send it to them to get their okay. And I sent it to her, and she wrote She remembered it completely the opposite. Oh, really? She remembered me remembering the ad. She remembered me talking her into letting me go down into the brambles. And, and we're talking about it, and I thought, well, if we thought that highly of each other, why did the hell did we ever break up? And, and she said, because we never told each other that we thought that highly of each other. So, and the cat taught you that lesson. And the cat taught us that <laughs> lesson, that, you know, say what you mean. I mean, especially to the one you're actually supposed to be in love with. So that cat taught us, you know, silence is deadly in a romantic relationship. <laughs> and you've owned cats ever since. <laughs> How can I hate cats after that story? Because that cat was too powerless to be a cat. I have a, here, here's one. This, you'll like this. I, a lot of you have dogs and cats, right? I have dogs and cats. So Sci-Fi, my son named him when he was His six. Cat. Your son's name is Sci-Fi? No, my son named my cat Sci-Fi. But that would not be a bad name for a kid. Uh, he named, when he was six, he named our brand new cat Sci-Fi, which was difficult because we went to the pound to get Sci-Fi. And Sci-Fi was in a cage with his mother and another cat, another kitten, so he was part of the litter. And the, the person who was running the, the pound said, you should take them all. I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not taking three cats. He said, no, you're going to leave this poor cat to be without its mother. I said, I am. <laughs> I felt pretty bad, but we took Sci-Fi home. And he was pretty great cat, though killer, like you say, because all cats are killers. And that's why they should all be inside all the time. Um, yeah. He can say that stuff now that he's not on NPR. Yeah. No, now that I don't, have a, I don't have a cat. But I would do that next time I had a cat. But, uh, he, but it was his house, right? It was his house. It was his space. And so six years... My kids wanted a dog, and it was time to get a dog. And so we went back to that pound. And uh, they had a dog there named Cosmo, which we took home, because Sci-Fi and Cosmo seemed right, uh, which is close to Cosmos, but more like Kramer, yes. Um, and our cat was not pleased, as you can imagine, with that at all. We bring this little puppy in, wonderful dog, sweetest dog I've ever had. Very nice dog, even as a puppy, super nice. Didn't get, you know, didn't get all jumpy at the cat. And the cat came down off the couch and looked at the dog and sat there and looked at the dog. And the dog kind of sat there and looked at the cat. So it didn't do what little puppies usually do. Just it sat there and waited. And the cat, 10 minutes, cat walks over and goes to his nose with his paw. And they were the best friends. From, and that cat took care of the dog, helped raise the little dog. It was, so there, there's, there's your... Cats can, cats can bond with dogs. Do you, live with, do you live with any animals? 
He's got his dog. Yeah, my little dog, Darla. Oh, but beyond. Well, her full name is, is Darla the Alcoholic Barfly in Recovery. Because <laughs> she was found on the streets of Riverside with her hair was like six inches. She's a little dog. Her hair was like this big. She's Bukowski's we, dog. Yeah, that's what we thought. <laughs> but really, we thought Bukowski's dog. Uh, and her teeth are mangled. And, and yeah, she had some health issues related to being on the street so long. Uh, but she's, I can't believe somebody ever gave her up. Uh, or lost her because she's so. I, I had dogs growing up on the res, but I mean, their, their lives were constantly in danger uh, from from predators of the human and animal variety. Reservation dogs' lives are short, and one of the things that would happen though is white people from Spokane had this idea that Indians are closer to animals. So when they didn't want their animal, rather than bringing it to the Humane Society, they would come dump it at the no. trading post no, on the res. Really? And, no, all the time, and. You know, and a lot of them would get adopted, but not necessarily. And sometimes they would just drop, they, they, they get across the res border. Because, I mean, I, I'm sure there's still white folks who don't know this, but you can come on the res. You can come <laughs> visit us. And, and so they'd get across the border and think, oh, it's like it was East Germany or something. And then they would dump their dog right at the sign, welcome to the Spokane Indian Reservation. And you'd come back and there'd be a dog sitting under the sign. Going, what the hell? Yeah, and depending on how many dogs we had at the moment, we would take them or other families would pick them up. Uh, and you could tell how long they'd been there. You know, by the way they look, whether they're chasing every car that came by, and eventually they give up, and then they're sitting there. A lot of times there'd be dog packs, and the wild dog packs would form on the res, and then you'd have to, and then the go cops would have to go out and go to work on yeah. these wild dog packs. So wild dog packs would take out your, 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 your house dog. Humans with guns would shoot your dog. In a lot of ways, these res dogs are metaphors for res kids equally vulnerable. So the bond between res kids and their dogs is way intense. It's among the most intense relationships I've ever had in my life. The last dog we had, Cheetos, that I got when I went into kindergarten, he came walking into our house. The stray dog came walking right into our house. And the only thing he would eat for the first week was Cheetos. So he became Cheetos. And he lived to 19. Wow. And he, he died. and, and uh, Wow. I, I couldn't think of having another dog. 19. And I didn't for approximately, yeah, 23 years, I didn't have a dog. And then my wife met Darla in California after her sister rescued her. And, but they already had, you know, my sister-in-law's nearly an animal hoarder. <laughs> and uh, nearly. Uh, well, whatever, she's got like 27 Well, cats. whatever the scale is, like, she's right on the edge. Uh, and so... Diane met the dog and brought her back. She doesn't bark, ever. Even though she was a street dog, she was trained, house trained. And the thing is, she uses the pads we have. You buy those pads that you can keep in the house just in case. She uses them. Like, she'll pee and poop on the pads. And we never taught her that. We put it out, and she went over and looked at it. And then she looked at us, and she turned around, poop right in front of us. It was awesome. <laughs> it was like, wow, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, I nap all day long. Oh, because you're, you're staying up at night, right? Well, no, I don't even. I used to do it because of that, but now I just do it. Because you're old. Yeah, because I'm old. <laughs> I mean, I'm that guy now. I go to see movies. I fall asleep about halfway through the coming attractions, and then I wake up 10 minutes into the movie. It's like, what the hell? Oh, I'm that old guy. I'm the old guy snoring in the theater. Uh, but so she's a total lapdog and sleeps 18 hours a day. So we have bonded so strongly. But, uh, I mean, because I lay down constantly. I remember we went to a second grade 
parent-teacher conference with my older son, and the teacher said, well, we're a little worried about him. I mean, he just lays down a lot. Just, <laughs> like, right on the floor, he'll just lay down. <laughs> and we're in the parent-teacher meeting. My wife has her hand on my knee, and she's squeezing my knee, and we're... <laughs> And, then, and you blamed it on the dog. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so we nap all the time. I don't think I've ever had a more a strong, I, even, I'm going to say this, I've only had this dog a year and a half, I don't think I've ever had a closer relationship with an animal, with a pet, than I do with Darlow, the alcoholic barf line recovery. That's nice. I like that. So if you want to tip them on your way out, or buy one of their CDs, 
Please, thank you so please much. Please help me out as a person who's starting a new art show with Steve. Um, we're on, we're on the, this is the internet. Everybody volunteers for the internet. <laughs> that's right. That's why we don't make any money anymore. Then nobody makes any money. We're all going to be working for Bezos one day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to do some questions. We're going to hear some stories from the audience. Um, but I want to start with one question from Rebecca, who doesn't want to actually talk on the microphone. So I told her I would read it. And it says, can you talk about any positive... I might stress this differently than you wanted me to. Can you talk about any positive, remarkable, transcendent interactions you've had with urban wildlife? Can you put up that third picture we haven't put up yet? Oh, yeah, you're going to tell your story. <laughs> I love the suspense, Dave. This is going to be the best one of the night. No, this is going to be the picture that went viral. Yes. Oh, yes. So have any of you seen this photo before? Yes. I took that picture. I met a little girl last year, eight years old. She has a crow that regularly delivers gifts to her. That was the collection to date when I went to see her. Those are all things that were brought for her and left in very deliberate places, either on the bird bath, on the feeder. Since I took this picture, she's gotten at least 20 more objects. Um, the most remarkable one, so after this story aired and went everywhere, National Geographic called and asked to do an interview with her and her mother. And while they were there, the crow showed up and dropped a tiny toy plastic squid right in front of them into the bird dish. And she says that now that's her second favorite object that the crow has given her. The favorite objects are actually on the far left column. The bottom two, I mean, sorry, the far right column, the bottom two are her two favorites. It's a heart and it's a little piece of metal that says best on it. Why did the crows start giving her gifts? Well, that's the question for John Marsliff, isn't it? But some crows, from what I understand, some crows are gift givers. And you can't decide what kind of a gift giver you have. Uh, most crows aren't gift givers. But a gift could be shiny things, because whatever crow comes to her yard is very attracted to shiny things. It could easily be dead birds and garbage, you know, body parts, you know, like whatever it finds that it would maybe woo a mate with, but they do apparently also give gifts to him one another. Crows give gifts to one another? Yeah. Especially at Christmas, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, at Ramadan. If so I guess that would be the most, that was the most remarkable thing I had seen um, as far as human animal contact. That's great. Sherman, do you have any uh, transcendent No, stories? everything I see, I murder. <laughs> what if they were bringing you <laughs> trinkets and gifts? Uh, you know, I don't understand the question. I think, perhaps Rebecca, I think every story I told tonight is amazing. It is amazing and transcendent. And transcendent. I, I think... Uh, Especially the one with the possum the, the sheer, <laughs> yeah, the, the sheer living together, interacting. Uh, I, I find it interesting. I love nature shows, always have. So I love the struggle of animals within their species, against other species, cooperation, not cooperation, conflict, 
death, destruction, all of that. There's a species of ant. They, what they love to do is when army ants maraud, they're carrying food. But these other ants certainly can't face a, a marauding band of army ants. So what they do is they hang off plants, like little commandos, and grab the food off the top of the ant, army ant horde, like steal it. And the army ants just keep going because they don't know what the hell happened. So these other ants swoop down like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible <laughs> and grab the food away from the army ants. All of it is transcendent and amazing to me. From the whole birth to death is, is amazing. I mean, I think getting chased by that possum was awesome. Uh, I think it was incredible. It was? I think those little baby rat skeletons are incredible. So, uh, you so, know, I don't buy the question. You know, you remind me, you remind me about E.O. Wilson, because he, he, he talked about how everything he learned about the world and how creatures interact, how the world functions, he learned through ants. He just reminded me of that. His whole sociobiology thing was everything I learned, I learned by watching ants. Well, and there's that thing, too. We, a lot of us, I mean, a lot of us, especially us progressive liberals, love animals. But we, love, we never think about them as killers. You know, every, the, all this nature that we love, it's based on killing. So we can certainly make the decision to be vegetarian. We can certainly make the decision to, be, to help animals, to rescue animals. And we help other species in a way no other species does. We are the most generous and kind to other species and also one of the, the worst. But as we love animals, we love to forget the really shitty, awful things they do. Uh, well, yes, but it's, are they awful? I, I mean, that's just us. No. And They're just so, what they do. And then I would argue that the things we do are not, are, aren't by definition awful either. No. That <laughs> depends on what we're doing. If we're wiping them out. Then we're being awful. Yeah. But, if we're giving them a place to live and trying to live and let live or live and not let live. That's yeah. different. I, I'm not being awful when I kill the rats in my house. No. Because they're in your house, as you said. No. I'd kick you out if you showed up at my house and wanted to. But I don't think you'd probably poop on the trap. <laughs> well, I was walking up my driveway a couple days ago. My neighbor has a bird feeder, so there's a lot of seed. There's a lot of birds that come. It's a really wild place. It's very cool. There's this golden chicken pecking around the seed. Well, it wasn't a chicken. It was, I thought, well, we were wondering what it was. Was it a grouse? Was it a native bird that somehow showed up? was not afraid of us, did not run from us. After a bit, it wandered back under my neighbor's yard and then disappeared. We just thought we had had some weird visitation, some wonderful visitation. A few hours later, we found out that one of our neighbors is keeping exotic chickens and other pheasants in her yard, just as some people keep chickens. Yeah, she's keeping these exotic pheasants. Are the eggs exotic? They are. Do they come I, out I, like an infinity shape? Yeah. <laughs> They're very special eggs. Yes. Actually, the, once it comes out, the bird paints them. So. <laughs> and with that, we have a question over here. Well, Steve, I think you anticipated my question. I did. Um, I cheated. I'm Mike. Mike Stenger. But my question is about chickens. There seems like there are chickens on every other block in Seattle these days. So I was wondering if you guys had any good uh, recollections or stories related to that. The best thing I can think of, the first thing I thought of when I saw this was walking down the sidewalk in Ballard and, and seeing a sign hooked to a telephone pole that said, Lost Chicken, with a 
bunch of numbers hanging on strips to pull off, and it said, find, found a chicken? And I thought, this is a changing city right here. You know, it's not about a chicken, but you reminded me that, um, you know how people talk about hypnotizing chickens? We had a guest on one time who was an animal man, and he brings in this huge iguana, tail wrapped around his waist, and he was holding it, and he said, watch this. <laughs> he goes, and it, fell, it drops its head and falls asleep. Remember that guy? That was all true, except it was an alligator. It was an alligator? Yeah. No, it was an iguana. No. See, it's like you and your girlfriend. No, it was an alligator. I swear. I'm younger. Come on, I got this. I'm younger. How the hell did you confuse an iguana for an alligator? It was an alligator. It was, small, it was a caiman. It was small. You're right. But fair enough. You're right. Uh, it was an alligator. We have, we have neighbors with chickens, and I hate them because they wake up early. And I say, it doesn't bother other people. The rest of you who have regular lives and jobs where you get up every morning, yes. you know, I don't necessarily have to get up. So uh, <laughs> I, I hate the chickens for that in that sense, but something worse has replaced them now. They're quiet in the mornings because a divorced, a newly divorced dad has moved into the neighborhood <laughs> in a rental house, and he's brought his dog, and he goes off to work and leaves the dog alone all day. So this poor dog is crying and barking and whimpering and braying all day long, which has silenced the chickens. So they feel bad. So before it was the, the clucking of productivity, and, and now it's, it's, it's the whelping of existential loneliness. I, I, want, I, want, I want the productivity back. Uh, and I don't know what to do. I mean, talk about encounter with an urban animal. No, not the dog. He means the person. <laughs> yeah, tell the dog. <laughs> yeah, you have to knock on the door. I know you're not an extrovert. I'm not going to knock on the door of a newly divorced guy. <laughs> Your dog is driving me crazy. Yes, without knowing why he got divorced, whether there's restraining orders involved. Do I look like the guy she ran off with? Uh, uh, there are a million reasons for a man not to knock on the door of another man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, do you have a story like this? A cat goes on an acid walk with you, or a crow and a zen urban environmental sculpture? What is an acid walk? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm talking about LSD. Can I talk about LSD on this podcast? I'm, okay. Well, I'm just glad you didn't see an Indian. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, if you're on an acid trip and you run into an Indian, don't take him home. Especially if he's not dressed. Yeah, exactly. A naked Indian, don't take him home. Uh, I've cuddled a stuffed animal while in a bipolar depression. Is that like an acid trip? <laughs> Doesn't sound as much fun. Okay, I've weeped into the fur of my dog. Oh yeah. While hallucinating because uh, of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yeah, what, well, what I'm saying is that uh, you know my brain is altered enough that I never really needed other chemicals. In fact, I have to take chemicals to keep my brain from being way altered. Did it help you to, to, did you feel it? To cry into the dog? Oh, yeah. I've cried into Darla. And Darla, Darla just lays there. And then she'll look at you. After you cry, she looks at you. And, you, and 
you want to think that she's thinking some deep thought. You know, she's not. No, she's thinking hamburger. Yeah, she's looking at the snack. <laughs> Snossage. <laughs> In college, I was, I, was, I was at a picnic, and it was a bunch of writing students, and there was a writing student from the University of Idaho who I was very attracted to. As we were talking, a hummingbird came, and I was just messing around. I said, watch this, and I put my hand up, and the hummingbird came over and hovered right here on my finger. And I thought, Whoa. I'm in there. <laughs> it hovered over your finger? It hovered right by my finger and had its little proboscis right on my finger. You realize this doesn't happen to normal people. Squirrels, and, and hummingbirds. Because you're connected to your heritage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've proven Deny yourself wrong. all you will, sir. And, 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 and so I, I thought, yeah, I'm in there. I'm in there. So. We talked a little while longer, and then and then we started getting out our food. And I was a poor res kid, and you know what I brought for the picnic was bologna and Wonder Bread. <laughs> and I, so I get out my sandwiches, and she goes bologna and Wonder Bread. And I said, Yeah. She goes, <sighs> and then she laughed. Oh, you didn't say the hummingbird. <laughs> Apparently, Wonder Bread cancels out hummingbirds. <laughs> I just have a story, but I'm holding it. Oh, you can. Tell your story. Animal, this is, this is really a story about how smart my son is and has always been. And, even, and I did not recognizing how smart my son was at six. We had a cat door. One day a possum came in the cat door to eat the cat's food. And we said, oh, why? And we chased it out. We thought we chased it out anyways. And then that night... My son comes up to our bedroom. He was in the basement. He comes up to our bedroom. He says, the cat is down on my bed, hissing. There's, the possum is down there. The possum is down there. And we go, oh, no, that, that didn't happen. Are you sure? Because I thought I had locked the cat door. I thought I would taken care of it. That didn't happen. But you can sleep with us. It'll be OK. You know, it'll be fine. And you know, it'll be fine. And about 20 minutes later, or half an hour later, he goes, the possum's under the bed. The possum's under the bed. It came into your room. Max, come on. That, 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 we didn't see it. You know, we were still kind of awake, kind of asleep. He, we sleep whole next day, then that night. Now, I'm Jewish. I just want to preface by saying I'm Jewish. <laughs> and about 2 o'clock in the morning that night, possum comes crawling out from underneath our bed. And I jump up and say, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Mother of God. <laughs> and my wife goes, what the hell? <laughs> and the possum had spent the entire day under our bed, sleeping under our bed. Yeah. And then, and then I'm trying to get it out the door. And I'm using a broom. I'm using a, like a, ba a baseball bath. And I have a, get out, get out. And, 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 and it goes into her closet. And possums are gross. And so it went into her closet and kind of climbed up her closet a little bit. And that, was, that took a long time to clean out. And finally, we got the, got the possum out. And the next day, we said, Max, the possum was in our bed. And he just. He, <laughs> told you. <laughs> I always believed everything he said after that. All right. Well, besides the owl that has manifested itself on our desk, there is one other creature in the house. Would you like to introduce us? Yes, this is Louise, and I brought her tonight because she's never seen an Indian. 
<laughs> Louise? Louise? I have an Aunt Louise. She oh, look that's like this. very nice. All you people, get a picture of that. <laughs> that is what's going up on Facebook. You smoke cigars? <laughs> yeah. So do tell us, uh, I know you spend a lot of time traveling with Louise. I'm a tango dancer, and uh, about seven years ago, I was supposed to dance uh, and be the... Yeah. So you're going to end up dancing because they're prepared to play for you to dance with Louise. Okay, so <laughs> think about it. <laughs> you'll, you'll notice she has tattoos, but we were going to have her nipples pierced, but we can't find what? them. What? <laughs> I think she's going home with him. I don't, I don't. Rely on my dancing skills. <laughs> to win your heart, Louise, it's going to have to be with words. <laughs> <laughs> She's very good. She I, follows I, really well. I, even don't, I don't know any American Sign Language. I don't know your relationship to spoken word, but, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you really tango with that creature? Yeah, I was just going to tell the story that I, <laughs> my tango partner had hurt her ankle and couldn't dance, and I was walking along and saw it. This Louise was in the toy store, looking like this. So I just, you know, sometimes when things get weird, there's nothing to do but to go with weird. And so I. Are you saying that things are just getting weird? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. And, and so I took her to the dance, and I danced with her, brought the house down, and after all, the guys wanted to dance with her. Well, well, yeah, that's what I'm finding weird is that you're apparently in an open relationship. Yes, with yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's really good in bed. She okay. never complains. Okay. You can talk to her about sports way into the night. And uh, if you want to dance with her, I mean, you can throw her up in the air and catch her. She follows beautifully. Well, well I'm having. Because you smoke cigars, and I can smell the cigar smoke, yeah. and my, my late father smoked cigars, so yeah. I'm having a very... Intense relationship. Intense relationship <laughs> yeah. that, that's equal parts sadness. And disgust. And, 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 and I'm, it's another post-traumatic stress syndrome moment I'm having with a stuffed animal, uh, which... Uh, where's the dog? Yeah, I, I need Darla now. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, Would you like to see her dance? Girl, yes. yes. Growing up, I had two oh, yeah. stuffed... I had, Please, Miles and animal encounter story because I'm not kidding it was just like that I worked in an animal lab I worked in an animal lab in the University of Oregon and we won't go into what the animal lab was all about but somebody had a woolly monkey that would no longer was their pet and and after it 
matured, they couldn't keep it because the woolly monkey would crawl into the bed between the man and the woman who owned that and push them apart and not let them sleep together. So they got rid of Michelle. I used to take Michelle for walks up and down the corridor. Yeah, that's the very monkey. good. It was, it was the wife. I used to take the woolly monkey Michelle up, up and down the corridor for walks, and she would hold my hand. She was great, probably because I had her biscuits in my pocket, but she was a wonderful creature. One day I said, Michelle, we should go outside. And I took Michelle outside, and the first thing she, she lets go of my hand, and she climbs up a tree. Now, I'm a work-study student, and... Uh, Michelle is up the tree, and there's all these students walking around going, uh, what's going on here with this monkey? And, and it took about an hour and a half and two policemen and me to, saying, no, it's fine. It, it'll be okay, really. She'll come down to get her to come down. But she looks just like <laughs> Louise. They're very similar, you know, Lisa Durang, but they're very similar. And, and Michelle, I think, would have danced <laughs> if she had had the chance. Oh. Well, on that note, I asked Sherman if he had one last story to tell us tonight before we're over. Are you going to leave us on an up note or a down note? They're all, they're all transcendent. I think we, re we reached that point. Uh, my father died 12 years ago. About a week after the funeral, we were sitting, my wife and I were sitting on our deck, this big bird, and uh, came flying in, blowing up the big like one feather up here. Oh, the yeah, stellar yeah. Jay. Yeah, came in and landed on our, on our railing. Sat there, looked at us, just stared at us. And my wife just laughed and said, I think that's your dad. And I laughed. And then immediately two sparrows came and landed beside the Jay. And then I said, those are his drinking buddies. <laughs> and uh, we're laughing and they didn't move. They just stared at us stared at us and, and uh, uh, we didn't think much about it and then I was on the road and my wife called me a couple days later and said your dad came back and he's sitting at the window he's pecking at the window so she put the phone up to the window and I could hear him going click 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 putting his beak against the window and I was laughing at dad wants in dad wants in I said where are the drinking buddies I don't see him and then, then she saw them, they came in and landed again, the drinking buddies sat on the railing while dad bird pecked at the glass. And then I was home a week later, and we're sitting on the inside in our uh, little dining table since next door to this window. We saw my dad bird, but he was flying around, not landing. And then we saw one of the drinking buddies come in, just came flying in and slammed into the window. And boom, hit the deck. And I thought, shit, he just killed himself. That is one of my dad's drinking buddies. <laughs> and we go out on the deck, and we're looking at him, and he's just dead. We're looking dead, and we're thinking, well, what do we do? I guess we've got to pick him up. And, and then I don't want to pick him up, though, because I don't want to pick up a dead bird. And I'm looking at him, and, and, and just grief over my father, just grief in general over all the losses in my life and this bird coming at this moment to kill himself against the window. I just wanted to be alive and not dead anymore. So I just sat there. I sat down on the deck and my wife, knowing me, 
went on to do her thing, leaving me alone. So I sat there with that bird. And I don't sing, I don't pray, but I sat there with the bird. And I was looking at him, his head went up. <laughs> and he looked up, and just his head, I went, whoa. Just his head, he moved his head back and forth for a long time. Wow. And I thought, well, okay, he can move his neck. Everything else is broken, and he's probably suffering. And then I'm thinking, shit, now I'm going to have to kill him. <laughs> I'm going to have to mercy kill this bird. And I'm thinking, I'm, so I'm sitting there. Then I spend minutes trying to get up the courage to grab him and break his neck. And I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. And uh, so I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, I'm just going to be here as you suffer. I'm, I'm like a bird hospice worker. <laughs> and, and then he starts wiggling his whole body back and forth and back and forth. And I'm going, whoa, okay. And then he gets to his feet. And he stands there just still for a long time, just still. Not moving at all, and I'm not moving. And we're just still. And then he lifts a feather, and he starts going like this with his feather. He does that for the longest time. And then he lifts the other one and does it for the longest time, and then both together. And then he shakes his tail for the longest time. And then he's just moving his body in all sorts of directions. Just moving like this. And this is an hour of this movement as I'm sitting there on the deck with him, just going over and over and over. And, and by this time, my wife has come back, and she, I can see her in the window. So the bird is here, and I can see my wife looking in the window here. And she starts crying, which makes me start crying. And then the bird starts walking and walks these little circles. And then, like, repeating, repetition, repeating, repetition. And does the feathers again, does the wings, and does this. And, and, and I realize, or I think, with my narrative brain trying to figure out what this bird is doing, I think, shit, he, got, he knocked his brain, right? So he's remembering how to be a bird. I'm watching this bird remember how to be a bird. And then he violently shakes for a while. And I'm like, oh, no, he's having a seizure. <laughs> because he's just, just shaking like crazy. And, and then he stops. And then he flies away. And I mean, just, I'm stunned by this. My wife is just she's leaning against the window and, and crying. And I'm crying. And uh, crying for my father. And crying for this amazing thing I saw. And my therapist, years later, also happened to be a birder. And like the third time I ever met her, and if you have therapists, you know you go on dates with them. It's really dating. <laughs> You're trying to figure out if this is the person you want to be talking to. So this was our third date. And, and uh, one of the things that ended up being good with this therapist, she's since retired. She was my therapist for years, and she retired. I was like, that's a divorce. Holy shit. And, and oh, I miss her. But the thing that was hard is that she looked like my mom. She bared a strong resemblance to my mom, which ended up being a good thing. But, but at the beginning, it wasn't. You know, the third date, you're looking at a woman, you're going, she looks like my mom. Well, you know, all sorts of Oedipal things were going on. And, and uh, 
but years later, I told her this story on the third date about, about this bird. And she said, well, that's one thing. When humans are dealing with pain, we become so disconnected from our bodies, physical pain, psychic pain, we are unaware of the more primitive parts of ourselves. That bird was shaking off its pain, was shaking off its trauma. And we humans don't allow ourselves enough grace, don't allow ourselves enough time or silence or compassion, self-forgiveness, self-compassion to shake off our own trauma. She said, so Sherman, you know, that bird was trying to teach you, whether by accident or on purpose. That bird showed you one way for you to deal with your pain is to sit in silence and shake. Let your feelings come. Let them be right there. And remember how to be a man. Yeah, thanks for being such a great storyteller. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for coming. Thank you. And thanks for coming, yeah. Visit the donate page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. All donations are reserved exclusively for the creation of audio content. Your financial support keeps us strong. Thank you.